Welcome to TTB Community. I am Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the easygoing Bob Domena. Easygoing? I don't know if that's true, man. <laughs> I don't know. As in, you'll, you do tend to be uh, high-achieving, but when it comes to doing things and going with the flow, I consider you easygoing. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll take it. Thank you. Yeah. Today, today we have an incredible conversation with a with a man uh, that I have admired for quite some time, actually, on Instagram. So he is an incredible photographer, uh, one that practices photography on culture and landscapes, and he pays close attention to portraits, right? Um, beautiful pictures of people's faces and with a focal point on the eyes. You have to check out his Instagram, um, either before or after you listen to this podcast. But he he is extraordinary, and I really enjoyed his work. And then being able to talk to him was was incredible. Uh, and his Instagram page, I, should I give his name away? I, I forget. Absolutely. That, so so his name is Trevor Cole, and his name on Instagram. I should have had this up. I'm sorry. Uh, is is just Trev Cole. So T-R-E-V-C-O-L-E. Check his page out and be and blown away. It. Yeah, follow it along while we do the conversation. It's pretty yeah. awesome. Just such a great photographer. And it was it was really awesome to be able to sit down and talk to him. Before we get into the conversation, I want to give this quick travel tip of the week. Journal. So we've preached this over and over again. And if a picture is worth a thousand words... A journal is priceless. So <laughs> I made that up. I don't, I, I'm pretty sure it might have existed, but I made that up um, for, <laughs> for this intro. So, and it, it just comes down to detail, right? The amount of detail you can include in your journal from recording the smells that you had of, of your dish or the city itself, the sounds, uh, specific conversations that you've had with your significant other or people you met along the way, to be able to go and reflect upon that years later you'll be incredibly thankful that you did that. Uh, I do it. I have tracked my trips. Uh, we tracked our Peru trip and it's really an invaluable, um, item possession that you'll, I think mm -hmm. hold near and dear to you. Um, because things change, uh, people that you travel with at one point in your life, you may not get to travel with later on in your life. And those recordings can be valuable. Uh, for me now I'm recording my experiences with my daughter. So, and, and she'll be able to reflect on her trips when she was just a toddler. So that's it. That's the travel tip. Do not, do not, uh, miss Underestimate out on, yeah, the power yeah. of a it, journal. It, it kind of, it can, it can feel like it's a, uh, like a chore, but it's well worth it. The delayed mm -hmm. gratification, right? You got delayed do gratification. It, so. yep. Yeah. And before we get into the episode, I do want to run through some of the stuff that we have. And number one is we are working on a travel journal where you can either print or fill it out digitally that will help you train your plan your trip, train your plip. Yeah, either one. That's what I said. Uh -huh. And that will, you know, go along with the Traveler's Blueprint video tutorials. It basically is what we've been talking about over the last two and a half years, three years. And it will basically give you the tools to feel comfortable with your trip and have less worry and less stress while you're actually on your trip. Uh, we've got our uh, very own Philadelphia tour guide in Keshler-Tybert. Philly, Philly. Yep. So if you're in the area or are traveling to Philly, 
please reach out to Cashler or go to our website and you can book through him. There's a few exclusive tours through the TTB where you can go to his website for some of his own tours. And we have a wonderful Travel Roundtable series every last Monday of the month. And we have four additional panelists, including Bob and myself, that dive deep into particular topics related to travel, maybe social issues or hot topics. And it's just a great opportunity to get lots of different perspectives. And lastly, if you like the show and if you haven't subscribed and this is the first time listening, please consider subscribing to our podcast and to our YouTube channel. Follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram. We post photos uh, related to the topic that we're discussing, and you can see information related to our guests and contact of our guests. And if you want to support the show financially, you can do so through Patreon for as little as $1 a month, which is less than you know a third of a cup of coffee at anywhere. Oh, I guess maybe McDonald's, you can get one for cheaper. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. And we would really appreciate it. That goes towards supporting the hosting of the podcast, the website. It goes towards getting better equipment to do the podcast. And ultimately, it makes it easier for us to continue podcasting and get great guests. So okay. without further introduction, let's get into the conversation with Trevor Cole. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Trevor, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint Podcast. Thank you. So it's a pleasure. I, I understand you're coming to us from... Actually, where are you coming to us from? I thought you, I know you're from Derry originally. Are you in still in Northern Ireland? Uh, geographically, I'm in the Republic of Ireland, okay. about one hour's drive west of Derry in a little place called Dunfanachy in the beautiful Donegal on the wild Atlantic Way. All right. I, I am already going to take us on a tangent, um, and we're probably less than a minute into the show, but are you familiar with the show Dairy Girls? <laughs> yes, I am. All right. I've only watched the first series, not the second series, but I, absolutely, I can put on a good dairy accent for you. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to get your thoughts on the show, because my wife and I absolutely love the show. Uh, she watched the first season and then said that I needed to watch it with her, so she rewatched the entire first season with me before going into season two and three and she wanted me to ask you who your favorite character is uh well do you know what it's been a while since i watched it and i'm absolutely useless with names but i (laughs) but i i quite like the poor i can't remember his name now the the, the poor english guy Uh, james James, (laughs) who got landed in all sorts of trouble Yes. Yeah, he's he's a good part of the show. So now back to you. Uh, you are a world-recognized photographer. You're a winner of the Travel Photographer of the Year in 2019 for People and Culture. And you were actually connected to us through Nicola Caustic, who we actually had on the show a few months ago. Um, and we are really excited to talk to you about your work in photography, your work traveling, teaching abroad, all of these things. And in your bio, you said that uh, your goal in photography is to capture admittable moments today to reflect upon tomorrow. And I love that because that's really, that it seems to be the best part of photography is trying to catch a moment that is unique and will probably never happen again. 
Absolutely. I mean, every photograph I take, I recognize the fact that it's it's encapsulating a moment in time. Um, maybe less so when I take landscapes, but certainly when I capture images from people in an African or Asian or Latin American context where change in developing countries is incredibly rapid. So you're, you're really taking a little bit of history and then X years later, you're looking at that and it has completely changed, but you've captured the moment. Yeah. And so, and so as Elliot mentioned, we, we were introduced to you through Nicola, but we've actually been following your page for a few years. Uh, I've been a huge fan of your work for a long time. And something that I love is, you know, every time I'm on my, my Instagram feed, and it's, that's primarily where I'm, I'm familiar with your work, I'm scrolling along and I see your picture and I, and I stop in my finger scrolling tracks because, and, and I start staring at your pictures because they start, they stare back at you. <laughs> and I, I, and I love it. And I find myself in thought, deep in thought, staring at my phone, staring at the photograph that you took. And it's normally a portrait of, and they're staring back. And then I find myself fantasizing about the individual, who they are, what their struggles are like, what their life is like. And it just really sparks my curiosity. And, and so I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your contribution to photography. And I really want to thank you for coming on the show to, to talk about it today. This is, this is pretty good. No problem at all. And, and thank you for saying that. Yeah. So I guess we should start right from the beginning. Maybe take us back and give us like a brief background on how you became interested in photography and ultimately travel. Well, it, it, it's, wow. It started a long time ago. <laughs> question. Yeah. It started a long time ago. My, my father, um, now passed away, uh, worked for the DuPont company, an American company, uh, whose plant or factory, if you like, was based outside uh, Derry. And uh, he worked overseas a little bit, America, Europe. And he took us to Europe at a very early age, you know, and I, I had my eyes opened by just new sights. Um, but that probably triggered off the interest in geography and travel. When I got to the age of 18 and I was leaving school, the, an opportunity materialized to travel from Derry in a minibus, this is quite some time ago, with an, 10 other guys and, and girls actually, uh, to North Africa. So 10 of us got in this minibus and we drove all the way through Ireland, England, France, Spain, across to Morocco, all the way across the top of Algeria, the north of Algeria, into Tunisia and back up through Italy. I had an absolutely lousy camera with me a Kodak Instamatic <laughs> so, so I mean it was just I've still got it somewhere but um, when I came back I was desperately disappointed because I could see in front of me these amazing desert dunes and these these Bedouin cultures um, that, that exist in North Africa and I, I said to my parents the one thing I would love is a real camera. So they, they, they were very accommodating and bought me 
a Rowley Flex SLR, single lens reflex. And the next year I did the same thing. I went off this time though with a group to Eastern Turkey, driving all the way again from Ireland. Uh, I was 19, but this time I was able to take photographs and learn from, from my mistakes. So it's started in my teenage years. Okay. And you're in your bio, you talk about what your focus is. And a lot of the times it's landscape photography. And like Bob mentioned recently, it seems like you're taking a lot of portraits of individuals that trying to tell a story of who they are through their eyes. Yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, I, I, I do love my landscape photography and, and we actually have a separate little Instagram page, which is not as popular uh, for landscapes. And when I run photo tours here, uh, little photo tours, we do the Wild Atlantic Way, the west coast of Scotland, um, sometimes Iceland, and we've been to Western Canada. But I found... When I started doing Instagram, I put up a few landscape shots and I put up a few portraits or, or documentary style shots, and they were the ones that got more likes. So eventually, my Instagram page evolved into uh, people, culture, documentary style uh, Instagram uh, page, and and I. I've always, even from, from an early age, been fascinated by indigenous people and how they live and how they connect uh, to the little earth we live on. Uh, so, so that's really why a lot of my photographs focus on these truly interesting people who live, if you like, on the edge. If we're the core, they're the periphery. Mm. Interesting. And so that's something that I really want to, want to focus on today is really your experiences in photography in these African nations. I, I find it so interesting. And, and just like yourself, it's something that I don't know calls to me and I always want to learn more. Uh, do you have any significant takeaways from these experiences, something that you learned about these cultures that you could share with us? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's, I always say to people, you know, I did a geography and environmental science degree, um, but my university has been, if you like, the university of travel. And when I lived in, in Asia, every holiday, you know, you get three or four months a year holiday as a teacher. I, I took myself off to, to parts of Asia. Um, but as time progressed, you know, I, I really do love focusing on the indigenous peoples of, of Africa and, and to a lesser extent Asia. But in Africa, there's, there's, there's still, there are still remote areas where people are living the simplest existences. And it fascinates me how, how you know, it, it's still survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. Those kids who don't make it because of infectious diseases or waterborne diseases or malaria, um, 
don't, you know, they, they, they die off at an early age. So you have the, the, these tribes of people who are incredibly resilient and who live very, very sustainably. We have, we have something which in, in geography I would call a huge ecological footprint. In other words, I can go to the local market and buy a mango from, from the Caribbean or bananas from the Caribbean. These people have a very, very tiny imprint. They have their livestock and they'll, they'll grow sorghum, a little bit of maize maybe, and they might have some local fruit growing. But their diet, their, their existence is, is so incredibly educational for, for I think, the Western world. And, and, and we're, we're abusing this planet desperately um, for our own greed. And I think it, it, going back and looking at these people, for me, just makes me realize, whoa, you know, there are better ways of living. I'm not saying we need to go back, mm -hmm. but we do need to go forward with the word sustainable in our vocabulary. Yeah. That's, that's something that, so <clears throat> I feel like we, I sort of sold my soul to the devil in a way. I get up every day and I put on my, my work clothes and I drive to work to make money, to sit, you know, to sit down all day and make money to essentially buy all these Thanks. things and some of them are important some you know an air-conditioned house uh you know, a refrigerator some of them some of them make sense but where's the trade-off in that do i need an air-conditioned house because I, i'm spending less time with my family i'm spending less time with my child and less time with my my wife and the people i really care about and so something that i i go back and forth on is where is the middle ground because these people who are, are living in Africa and survival is at their priority, I envy the, the, the closeness among them and their value of life and their value of the relationships that they have. And I don't know. Um, I, it, it just is, is Western life better just because we have air conditioned homes and, and is Western life, does Western life really make us happier? Are we happier? It's something that I, I, I listen to, or I don't know where I, I absorb this information. There's so many different ways to these days. But, you know, you have people in, in Africa don't jump off of skyscrapers because they're miserable with their lives. They don't, yeah. you know, you don't have, have suicide and you don't have dependency on narcotics uh, just to get through your day. And so, yes, they suffer. They still have to deal with, with these bloodborne pathogens and, and diseases that we don't have to think about today. Um, I don't, they, and, then, and I, and I go back and forth. I go back and forth. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Well, I, I go back and forth as well, because I like my little luxuries. I like driving my, my Land Rover Defender and I just try as a human being to use local produce rather than, than too much imported. But I, I have a weakness for mangoes because I lived overseas, for example. <laughs> um, but um, it is a really difficult one. But I, I, I do think we as a species need to, looking at, need to look more at sustainable forms of energy and stop, you know, fuel guzzling, cars being used um 
try and grow food organically, um, bring back the forests. There's a, there's a journalist in, in England called George Mompio, and he, he really promotes the whole idea of rewilding and bringing back nature. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he, he maintains that humans at the end of the day will profit from it um, in, in a better way. And, and I, I think it's the only way to go if we're not to render our own extinction. Yeah. Yeah, I think indigenous cultures live absolutely more harmoniously with nature, not just in nature. And the Western cultures kind of, as you said, have abused nature for their own benefit. And there's a parable that I love, and I'm going to paraphrase it because it's fairly long, but there's a fisherman on an island and every day he goes out and fishes for his family and just catches enough to sustain his family. And he does that a few hours each day and spends the rest of the time with his kids and his wife. And a investment banker from anywhere comes and says, oh, wow, you have really great fish here. I want to invest and help you make more money. And after that, you can retire. And the fisherman says, well, how long will that take? 15 to 20 years, says the banker. And the fisherman says, okay, then what? Well, then you can spend more time with your family and enjoy your leisure time. And he's like, well, I do that now. So what's the point? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have, have either of you watched the Netflix documentary, the David Attenborough documentary? Which the, one? It's, it's, it's the newest one. Oh man, I forget the title. Um, it it was it starts off as sort of a biography of it runs through David Attenborough's life as an early uh, traveler and adventurer and oh is it Attenborough I, I think it it might be yeah um and then it gets into his experiences from a young man traveling the world to what we see today and how the places that he used to go as a as a late teens early twenty something year old guy are now developed and overwhelmed with resorts or or infrastructure or whatever it is um, but the the overall message of the documentary was how we can move forward in a sustainable way and ultimately what it came down to was education of countries like uh, or i 'm sorry like essentially every country or, or majority of, of Africa and the developing nations and the more we dump education into those places and education comes up and people can uh i'm sorry so the more educated and the more opportunity a population is provided with the less likely they are to have more kids and so and that's the problem right we're overpopulating the planet and so the overall message was if we increase opportunity we decrease population growth and therefore it can better focus on sustainable development as the world continues to modernize because you're not going to slow down the, the modernization of Africa and um, especially China's influence in South America, right? The infrastructure is going to continue to boom and, and those places are continuing to grow. And I don't know. It, it was interesting. I don't yeah. know. I think- you know, I've watched bits of it. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a great believer that um, education is actually the key, but it has to be education that fits the cultural context, not imposing our Western education yes. on African or Asian cultures. And, and I used to always say to my students, it's the girls of the world that are going to make the biggest difference. When you educate girls, 
that's when they stop having so many children. That's when development truly stands a chance of going in the right direction. Yeah, Bob, to that to that point about developing countries not procreating as much because of higher education, it's still on the flip side of that, you have the United States, China, and Western Europe that aren't having as many children, but we still have a much larger carbon footprint per person, even with less children. And so like a small family in the United States is still producing the same amount of carbon as a large family or town in Africa, just because we're using so much more fuel and consuming so many more goods. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much the fact that the population is increasing. The population will eventually um, tailor off uh, at, a, at around, I think, possibly 11 billion. We're almost at 8 billion now. See, the geographer is still alive. Uh, <laughs> That's 24 years right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but you know, the, these populations that even if they're reducing in number, it's their, their desire to consume that's mm-hmm. killing the planet because consumption only comes from the planet we live in, whether it be timber, minerals, whether it be um, cobalt for batteries in the Congo, um, rosewood in West Africa for the Chinese market. Um, the fish in the sea is rapidly disappearing. The reefs are almost gone. Uh, rainforests are being destroyed as we speak in, in Brazil by uh, yeah, encouraged by Mr. Bolsonaro. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to stay on this subject, so I'm going to give you a double question here. I want, to, I want to also continue to focus on your photography and your own personal experience. That's fine, absolutely. So, so well, I want to do both. So what I want to ask is, can you share some of your, your I don't know, um, individuals that you've met and, and the stories that you have with them or the families or your time in those locations – but on top of that, after we do that, have are there noticeable, observable impacts of climate change to those cultures? Um, I mean, everywhere I go, I I absorb the the, the cultural diversity, and I think as far as my photography with these people is concerned it's really important for me to go into a village, for example, in, in West Africa and let them see that I'm not going in there just to treat them as a human zoo. I want to be seen as someone who takes a genuine interest in their culture. Then eventually I get my, my, my camera out when they're comfortable with me and know I'm not some sort of um grab it all and go quickly uh, I, I always i always take with me in, in ethiopia for example i have a fantastic female guide. i think she's the only female guide uh, in the tribal areas and she, she's half tribal herself and in, in her origins and this enables me to get to know the people the last time I was traveling through the Omo Valley of Ethiopia, I saw a girl in the village, a tribal girl. She'd walked 
uh, 72 kilometers to get to the village. You know, they sleep once overnight and, and, and they get there in one day barefooted. And I recognized her from 10 years ago and maybe also from eight years ago. And I, I waved her over to the car, you know, the, the, we had no language interactions. And I got out my phone and I showed her her photograph. And just to see the look in her face and the realization, you know, that, that I'd taken her photograph some time ago, just, you know, it's, it's little moments like that that make, make the journey special. Um, so it, it's, 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 it's a wonderful thing to go back to the same villages and take the same photographs, well, not the same photographs, but photographs of the same people over a period of time. You really then feel a connection. And for anyone to say that's exploitative, I think it, it would quite upset me really because it's a two-way thing. They're watching us, we're watching them. And it's, it's about the relationship between them and me, me and them, you know, and having good local guides. I never use, if you like, Western guides. I always use locally based companies, no matter where I go. If I go to India, I will use an Indian uh, company. If I go to Ethiopia, I use Ethiopian agents. If I go to South Sudan, which is where I'm going in a few weeks, hopefully, um, I use a guy from the Dinka tribe and uh, his knowledge is, is fantastic. And, and that's part of my learning experience is, is being able to go up and put my arms around some of these people and uh, just say, you know, I'm just like them. Mm -hmm. And now how long are you typically staying with these tribes and, and where do you actually stay? Are you staying do they help you? Do they like give you accommodations within their living area or do you sort of go somewhere else? And then, and no, we, 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 we never ever, um, uh, there are a few places where there are lodges run by, for example, Ethiopians. Uh, we'll stay in them to give, because uh, I, I usually take three, four, up to six photographers with me. I don't like big groups. And we'll stay in the local lodge, which sometimes are very, very nice. But to get to the really remote tribes, we take a cook, we take tents, and we camp on the edge of their villages. So we can get up for sunrise and be there at sunset to capture the best moments in the best light. And that's also a really, really important thing to spend two nights, at least one night camping in close proximity and they wander over the kids will dance for us and uh it, it's 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 wonderful you know you, you get photographs of the wonderful scarification on their bodies the uh traditional attire of course they put on the face paint sometimes which is traditional and some of them embellish themselves with flowers which is really for the tourist but uh but but that's okay it, 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 it's it's them being them yeah, I'm asking for a friend here. How do you join one of these uh, photography tours that you organize? 
Well, uh, it, it's a little tiny organization or a little tiny business called Alternative Visions. They're not cheap. Africa's Africa itself's incredibly cheap. If you want to go out for a meal or, or, or have a beer or have a fresh mango juice, that's cheap. As soon as you start um, hiring a 4x4, a Toyota Land Cruiser, to go off into the wilderness, the prices just rocket up. And then you've got to pay village fees. Um, these people have to benefit from tourism. You can't just up, take and leave. You have to give as well as, as, as take. So we pay our village fees and we pay the head of the village um, an agreed upon fee to take photographs. And only if they want to have their photographs taken. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we, ne we, never, we never ever push it and don't ever take photographs uninvited. So can you tell us a little bit more about some of the other destinations that you take these groups on? You mentioned Ethiopia. I think you said Iceland as well. Yeah, yeah, we, we did Iceland up until a few years ago, and we stopped because Iceland was literally being overrun uh, by tourists. Yes. <laughs> and and now now would be the perfect time to go again right now. Uh, when there's no one there, but you have to self-isolate, uh, you know, due to a certain pandemic uh, <laughs> uh, for a period of time. But Iceland is stunning for a photographer that's into raw nature. It's mm -hmm. so beautiful, incredibly expensive, but beautiful. It's a very civilized uh, tour in the sense you have nice accommodation, good food, lots of seafood, and uh, the people are are, are, are wonderful. Mm -hmm. And besides Ethiopia, what other African destinations? Well, I'm hoping, well, I was going to Ethiopia uh, at the end of this month, but I had to cancel it due to that dreaded thing again. Um, but my little trip to South Sudan is at the moment going ahead. I have four people coming with me. Um, then after that, I'm going uh, with my partner to Namibia on uh, a safari slash photograph. This is a personal uh, one to, to uh, the desert areas of Western Namibia. And then I'm hopefully things will ease up um, later in the year. I, I'm hoping to do a, a photo tour to Romania. Um, also then to Angola in September and Chad to see the Garawal Festival where they get the guys um, paint themselves and they almost make themselves effeminate uh, in a festival to attract girls to mm. them. So it's like a beauty contest for uh, the men. You'll see some photographs on, on Instagram with their painted faces and they open their eyes and they have the, the, you know, the most incredible dances. It, it, it's an amazing thing to, to see. And it's not for the tourists. It's for them. Mm. It's wonderful. One of the things that we kind of touched on earlier is, you know, Western life versus some of these tribes. And I'm really curious what you've seen in terms of happiness levels 
because I, I spent six weeks in Tanzania in a very rural area. And for the most part, the, the people there were very happy, even if, even if they didn't have what we consider normalcy in our lives, like internet, like consistent, clean running water. Um, but they did have easy access to food and shelter. But they you were know, happy. I, 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 would, I would have to say that most, not all, but most of the people I visited, especially in, in, in Africa or, or indigenous people in general, have all readily smiled, enjoyed a little bit of fun. They don't view time the way we do, you know, mm -hmm. ah, tomorrow's fine, you know, or the next day. Mind you, the Irish are a bit like that. Um, <laughs> but there isn't a, a sort of a, a schedule for each day. They go out, they, they milk their goats or their cattle. They, they all have roles to play from the little children up. And uh, I'll never forget turning up at, at a, a river where these teenage girls had walked for days to pan for gold. Incredible. Big wooden basins like, shaped like Chinese walks. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were getting the silt, swirling it around. And, you know, they, they, they brought up these little bags of pure gold dust uh, to me. And, you know, there wasn't another tourist in sight, just, just our little, tiny little group, me with uh, a couple of Ethiopian guides. And uh, spontaneously, and these are all, you know, they're, they're young, 13 to 22, you know, they're all scarred, it's a type of beautification, bare-breasted girls. And they just started dancing in the river. And uh, just the laughter, the fun, the happiness. And, uh, you know, they were doing it as much for themselves. And it wasn't really for us. And that, that night we camped nearby. And I realized there must have been many, many, many more um, guys and girls um, panning for gold, uh, we didn't get any sleep because they started dancing. And they just <laughs> danced and danced and danced. And they make their own music. The, the, the happiness brims. It's the simple things. They don't have any sort of competition. They don't have any of these, uh, what I'd call Western diseases. Mm -hmm. They don't have, uh, you know, eating disorders or, or or they don't worry about um their instagram page and and you know having 20 20 000 followers you know and competing with all their little friends to get as yeah. many likes as possible it's a just a different world it's as if time stands still hmm. are either of you familiar with stoics stoicism so, yeah stoicism I, yeah essentially appreciating what you have. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's sort of been transformed to uh, like this, this sort of form of meditation for Westerners now. And so there's this whole thought process behind util utilizing it to just be happy. And it's, it's interesting because you can, 
in your rawest form is if you do utilize this this thought process and you start to peel back what you currently have until you get down to what's most important to you you realize how many layers you can peel back and be okay with losing and absolutely it's, yeah. it's a, and that's sort of what that reminds me of because at you know these girls on the river they have each other they they the the walk that they just had to go through is sort of second nature, you know, in the back of their mind because they're there together and they're, they're able to enjoy the moment. And that, that their concept of time kind of blows me away. How they <laughs> yeah. Have to-do lists and schedules. Yeah, you should and, see Bob's background on his lock screen. It is a schedule. My my phone <laughs> lock screen is my is my daily routine just to stay on track. <laughs> and... Oh. and but I was the same whenever I was teaching, you know, I had lists every single day. I mean, I stopped teaching eight years ago, really to come home and look after my uh, aging parents. Um, but also because I wanted to have a go at my second passion, the, the photography, um, where I, I still teach in a way because you take people out and you, you, you teach them how to use a camera, you teach them how to compose a shot. And you sometimes take them to places which just open their eyes. Mm -hmm. And and I always have to, I apologize at the beginning and say, look, the geography teacher in me will will not stop telling you about the vegetation or the way that people um, sustain themselves by eating um, cassava or, or manioc or sweet potatoes. You know, I, I've become quite familiar with the geography and the ecology of a lot of African countries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these, these countries are amazing as soon as you get off the beaten track and life just, whoa, it's just, it's just so simple and yet so meaningful. Mm -hmm. There's a, I, I want to stay on the subject because the, there's a new Disney movie out and it's called Soul. And I was actually chatting with a friend about it last night and my wife and I watched it maybe two weeks ago. And it's this jazz musician that as a kid realized his passion in life was playing jazz music on a piano. And his life goal was to play in a jazz band. And he was by this point of the movie, a middle-aged uh, man <laughs> teaching middle school band and he ended up booking a gig and in his excitement ended up falling down a manhole and went to the stairway to heaven and realized that he didn't fulfill his passion and wanted to go back to earth to fulfill his passion it ends up being able to fulfill his passion and then at the end of the movie he's like my purpose in life was to play in a jazz band and i just completed that purpose and the last, I guess, five minutes or so was him realizing that life is more about purpose. It's more about appreciating all every moment that life has in between those fulfillments. Well, I, I, as a teacher, I, the last few years, I was the head of the last two years of school, the pre-university years. And I used to commonly stand up at the end of uh, the two-year course and say, Whatever you do in life, maybe don't do what 
your parents want you to do. You know, the parents would be sitting there as well, and I'd be saying, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it has to come from you. Whatever you do, do it because you love it. And that way you will love life. And do it as soon as possible because tomorrow's too late. You have to live your dreams today, not tomorrow. And, and, and I think that's one of the things that teacher, I used to teach students, I taught something called the International Baccalaureate. And I used to train teachers as well. They'd fly me around the world a couple of times a year, even, even to the Americas. And uh, one, of the, one of the ways of teaching, and, and I think the whole of the world should adopt this, is, is not to teach kids to pass exams, but to teach them to think for themselves. Then you, then you pass the exams mm -hmm. anyway, because you enjoy what you're doing. Yes. That's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I love that. And that goes for everything. So I'm a big exerciser and dieter, and I have friends and family ask me how to do it themselves. And what I always tell them is you need to, you can set your goal, whatever your goal is, to lose X amount of weight or put on X muscle mass, whatever it is. But the real goal is making sure that you love every day. The process itself, you need to fall in love with it. Yeah. Because if you're if you're you staying on the diet example, in an extreme calorie deficiency, and you're going to be miserable and you're going to fail. So you tweak it. You tweak the process. You tweak it day by day to fall in love with it. And the goal comes. The goal is there. It's in the back of your mind. But the daily process is something that you need to focus on. That's all of your energy should be on that and and it could be your your happiness whatever it is um that's i think the best that's a good life lesson for just about everything yeah. it, uh, it is one of my favorite lines when i was writing reports was um julie needs to be the change she wants to see in herself mm -hmm. you know i think it actually originally came from mahatma gandhi but uh, I, I used to say to students and I say to friends, if you want to do something, then as, as you say, create a goal, create a strategy and fulfill it, do it. Don't get to the age of 40, 50 or 60 and look back and say, oh, you know, because it's then you realize that all that time you thought you had no longer exists. Mm -hmm. yeah there's yeah. bob i really think that the mindset is the like you said the most important thing about wanting to see that change because right diets diets are fleeting and sometimes a diet isn't diet it's actually a lifestyle change because a diet for a lot of people is a quick fix and then they can go back to doing what they were doing and i mean this is a uh, metaphor for anything in life is that if you want to see consistent change, you have to change the way you think about it. And Absolutely. I, I do want to go and back to talk about the important things in life because I don't know where I saw this or who did it, but it was a professor at some school and he had a jar that he filled with ping pong balls. And he's like, these ping pong balls represent your core things in life, like family and friends and just like the big things that really matter that you can't really have a fulfilling life without. And then he filled it with like ping or uh, marbles. And he was like, these are the other important things like your job and 
things of that nature, like goals in life. And then he filled it with sin. He's like, this is what everything else is. This is the other stuff you fill it with, like reading, like playing video games, the enjoyments. And at the end of it, he was like, so the lesson here is if you fill your jar first with sand, you're not going to be able to fit the ping pong balls or the marbles. And then at the end of that, he poured a beer in and someone asked like, what does the beer represent? I was like, well, the point of that is that you can always find time or you can always find room for a beer with a friend. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's brilliant. Yeah, I, I do think you have to live life to the full. And that, that's where some of my photography has come from and my teaching. I, I could never regret teaching overseas, nor could I regret any of the journeys I've taken around the world to take photographs because it, it, it's just life-shaping. All right. And, and speaking on life-shaping, this is a perfect uh, segue. <laughs> Something that I want to pick your brain on and, and see you know, what you've uh, concluded on is how the cultures that you've experienced, these tribal cultures, um, have uh, sort of given indication on human evolution. And, and the growth of humankind from from essentially where we came from, right? Eastern Africa. Or is it Western or Eastern Africa? Eastern Western, Africa. Yeah. Eastern Africa. Um, do you have any insight on that now? Has it changed your philosophy of of the evolution of human beings being there? And well, I mean, I, I, I've actually always taken uh, an interest in uh, the evolution of humankind, the evolution full stop. But when I lived in Ethiopia, I went to the Natural History Museum or the museum, which has the, the skeleton or the remains of Lucy, hmm. uh, which is 3.2 uh, million years old. This is one of the earliest hominids. And that was, they, were, they found the, these remains in the Afar region of, of Ethiopia, where the conditions are just right for the preservation of remains, human remains. But it, it, it's, it's fairly obvious to me that all humankind originated in Africa. And the great migrations out um, took place over periods of time. The, 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 the Neanderthal peoples and the Denisovans, and then about what is a hundred hundred thousand years ago, maybe the Homo sapiens made it out of Africa, and then the other hominids uh, couldn't really compete with them. But it, it totally fascinates me that people, when they migrate, um, even within Africa, you, you can see differences in their cultural traits and their physiology but it's hugely diverse and then you start moving elsewhere in the world the longest i just read this the other day that the longest um culture in existence in one place are the aboriginal peoples of hmm. uh, papua new guinea and australia and they've been there for fifty thousand years i mean to get wow. there to get there they migrated out of Africa, across Asia, mixing with, with other cultures, possibly on the way, maybe Neanderthals. 
which gives them their very distinctive physiology. Um, and it just fascinates me. I mean, I have a photograph in my Instagram of a kid with blue eyes and, and he's an, an African kid. And it, it's, it's, I think, a genetic mutation, but it could be something called Wardenburg syndrome. But blue eyes, I, I, I had to look up blue eyes. Blue eyes only came into being about 10,000 years ago. And only when people moved north into Europe and no longer needed dark skins. In fact, the opposite, because dark skins prevent them getting their uh, vitamin D. So, you know, that's why I, I, I always say to people living here, you know, with your red hair and freckles, you know, you, you've, you've, you've got that because there's no flipping the sunlight. <laughs> you know, you have to try and absorb as much as possible. And that's why, you know, you see an Irishman in the sun, you know, is as red as his hair, you know. <laughs> his freckles are little solar panels. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and it's, so evolution to me is 100 uh percent you know visible around us and uh you know i i cannot see you know i i, I can be really controversial here because i cannot see how anybody can think uh, otherwise um and and i know there are certain parts of your good country where people do see otherwise but never mind <laughs> <laughs> that's another that's another conversation trevor <laughs> uh, absolutely yeah. that's, for, that's for another podcast <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Ab absolutely right yeah no it, it's fascinating to me too um the the migration pattern of human beings and and essentially how it put us on the trajectory that we're on today um i mean take take a look for example at your native americans uh -huh. Where did they come from? They, they came across the Bering Strait land bridge. And that mm -hmm. is why, to this day, they have, they have their, their DNA is connected very closely to the, the um, peoples of Asia. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And yeah, the, the Polynesians are an incredibly uh, interesting part of that that migration too when i went to hawaii i went to the museum there and i don't remember the name of the museum but they essentially discussed the migration of human beings and you know uh, down into the polynesian and southeast asia and then they became this sea you know uh sea bearing people and and they went on these these missions to just find new land and essentially it was accidentally i believe finding the island of hawaii yeah yeah and they found uh they they, they settled in Eastern Papua New Guinea, they settled mm -hmm. in, I mean, I think the, the Maori people or Maori people, you know, the, they're of Polynesian extract that, that live in New Zealand. It's, it's mm -hmm. fascinating. It seems extremely lucky that they found Hawaii. Because <laughs> it is, yeah. it is honestly well, the, way, the middle of nowhere. There's like nothing near it. Right. They went, they were, they were far south of the island. And I guess something, and this is, uh, it's been several years and it was just a quick tour of the museum, but they went, they were south of the island and they, essentially the, the uh, current of the water pushed them back up and they like kind of looped around and hit land. And again, I, I, it was a few years ago and I was in Hawaii and I don't, I don't know if that's exactly what happened. So don't quote me on it, but I believe that's something um, that's, that's at least loosely. Uh, it, it, it is amazing. We've been around a long time, but nowhere mm -hmm. near as long as uh, 
the the dinosaurs, for example. <laughs> right, or, yeah. right. We're a blip fraction. <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 and I think I don't think we might be as uh, around as long as we think we might. Yep, <laughs> we're doing so much damage. But anyway, no, yeah, this is our chapter in a very long book. Um, yeah, it, yeah. Is there a, maybe a a paragraph? <laughs> in an encyclopedia yeah 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 yeah, yeah it, it, do you is there any sort of or do you have any understanding or insight on on why the cultures in this re, in africa northern africa have remained i guess relatively unchanged since you yeah, know, I, of I, thousands I, of years I, I i do i mean i i i think that those that have remained in situ on the spot you know they're still practicing some of their traditions going back not just hundreds of years but thousands of years i watch them still grinding flour between two stones you know it's 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 incredible um yet they might have a kalashnikov or or an ak-47 because they've been trading them across the border with war-torn south sudan um but I, I, I have this feeling that when people move away, uh, i.e. migrate, they have to adjust and they learn new skills. And I think that's, you know, how um, cultures further north, further west, further east have evolved in different ways because they've had to innovate to survive whereas if you take a, a, a little indigenous village and in, in, in ethiopia and compare it to an irish village four thousand years ago set up in the museum of a national history museum in ireland not dissimilar and i think migration is the key to change um but you know these people whilst they may not have the these innovative skills that the migrants do they have the most amazing cultural intelligence when it comes to living off the land looking after themselves surviving their understanding of nature is something we could all learn from i i want to keep the conversation on different cultures because I live in central Pennsylvania and I am just north of Lancaster County and Lancaster City, which I know there's a Lancaster in England. I think it's named after it. But there is a large Amish population. And for the most part, it seems like the Amish are a culture frozen in time. Like they've chosen to innovate to a certain level and then stop. And even within the Amish culture, there are four main groups that have different ideals and some are willing to use more technology than others. But a certain, but I guess the thing I don't fully understand about the Amish culture is why they were willing to advance so far, but not willing to advance any further. Well, I, I can't really answer that either. I mean, but there are cultures around the world and dare I say it, some some religious sects who really maintain uh, traditions um, that 
were very similar 100, 200 years ago. And I, I think it could possibly come down to, dare I say it, um, the, their religious belief system. And I mean, if you take certain cultures around the world, I, to being controversial again, there's a huge amount, a little bit like social media does today, uh, of indoctrination and brainwashing and convincing people that this is the only way. Mm. Whereas as a teacher, I always used to say that someone else with a different opinion can also be right. There are always different sides. I think these, these groups that, that are homogenous in their thinking um, have very powerful leadership which intimidates in a way or, or even engenders fear. Yeah, well, I think even though uh, we've, we've modernized, right, we've we migrated here and we modernized, there's still, in, regardless of where you're located in the world, if you're a human being, there's still this underlying hardwiring that you want to be very tribal. And I think, I think religion has, a, has done a really good way of capitalizing on that and, and not... Uh, and again, I don't want to get too controversial with, you know, talking a bit about religion, but historically speaking, religion has done a great job of, of organizing tribes, so to speak. And now you have all these different tribes. And so I guess you can, you could pull the word religion out and we could just say tribe. Um, and that hasn't changed even, even today. That's really. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, to be honest, I'm not uh, happy about the way uh, religious groups have taken it upon themselves to impose their belief systems on, say, the tribes of the Omo Valley. The tribes of the Omo Valley are, or were, still are in large, large part, animist. They believe that the, the rocks, the soil, the trees, the animals, uh, they believe everything's connected. Then along comes the the American Missionary Society or the Worldwide Church of God, and they throw all their beads away. They don't let them go to the local school that they've set up because they're they're the girls are coming in bare-breasted uh, with their cowrie shells and 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 goat skins, um, or the boys are coming in with their 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 scarification or their facial paint and basically they, they they impose these new religions on ancient cultures which um and and they do it in ways that really are quite convincing indoctrinating proselytizing it's 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 it it, it actually makes me angry mm -hmm. uh, it's like the ultimate of, form of white savior yeah, yeah. I mean, the the more I learned about foreign cultures as a younger man, young maybe teenage boy, and I began to dive into the history of the Crusades and the invasion Oof. of the Americas, and I, I was raised a Catholic, and and I started, I took a step back, and I was like, wait, this is this is the same religion, this is this is what I've been, this is the same religion that I've been learning my entire youth the ancient version or not not even ancient really a few hundred years prior uh we went to these open lands that were and you know 
inhabited by millions upon millions of people, and we said, hey, you know, here's here's our new religion. Uh, this is your religion now. Yeah. And then the atrocities that followed, the slaughter and the rape and the the disease, and uh, I don't know, that that was a turning point for me as a teenage boy, that realization that this this religion that I've been taught growing up isn't there's there's more to it yeah. than than what I've been taught, and that that was a big I think turning point for me. I think within it's, any religion, within any organization that has a large group and it, that you feel like you're a part of, it's good to have healthy skepticism. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it is still going on. I mean, here in Ireland, wow, uh, there's just been scandal after scandal. Mm. Um, you know, the church has really. The, ch the church is dying here in Ireland. You know, I mean, only older people now, in general, uh, go to church. Young people have walked away from it. And, and with good reason, I think. Um, I'll probably get in trouble for that as well. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bob, I don't know. Do you have anything else on this cultural discussion? Because I do have one more question for Trevor before we get into our... Go ahead. Ask. So I'm really curious, as a photographer, and you've been doing this for many years now, uh, what is your take on this selfie culture that has been established over the last decade? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you been asking this question? <laughs> uh, I think, I don't know, the, the, the question that really annoys me more than anything else, uh, you know, when I, I show people my photographs on my iPhone, um, oh, you took those on your iPhone. <laughs> or, 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 or they look at a photograph and say, you must have a very good camera. Um, <laughs> it's like walking into someone, someone's house for supper and, uh, you know, they, they say, well, you must have a very good camera to take that photograph. And after you, 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 you keep quiet and after the meal, you say, ah, that was a fantastic meal. You must have a very good oven, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> But selfie culture has, I think last year or the year before, there were more photographs taken in one year than the history of photography. What? All the photographs taken over time. Because everybody has one of these. Yep. And, you know, people travel with more than anything else um, with an iPhone or a Samsung or, or a smartphone. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's shocking in a way. And, you know, I do it a tiny little bit sometimes. And I certainly take photographs. I've, I've two girls adopted from Southeast Asia some time ago. They're 24 and 21. And I, you know, I take photographs of them because that's important that they have their history recorded over time. But I, was, I took one of my daughters to Venice. This is selfie culture. And <laughs> we're, walking, we're walking around the perimeter of uh, St. Mark's Square. Uh, she'd never been there before. And there were a lot of Chinese, let's say, in the city. And they were walking along with these selfie sticks, mm -hmm. you know one meter out from them, walking along with no consideration of 
anybody else. People were having to avoid them or get smacked in the face by by the selfie stick. And I yeah. thought, wow. And they're they're just doing it to say they've been there. Uh, right. You know, been there, been to Venice, been to Rome, been to Ethiopia. It's not so bad in Ethiopia because uh, <laughs> it takes a bit of a bit more of an adventurous spirit to get there. Mm-hmm. But but anywhere that's be, been popularized by tourism, it's shocking. And 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 quite a num- number of people fall off cliff faces, or 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 yep. or do really stupid things. Taking yeah. that 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 selfie, living life on the edge, literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the checklist traveler. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you have you ever taken a selfie? Yes. Okay. <laughs> with uh, one, I assume it's with uh, one of your nice cameras and the lenses on. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> but 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 occasionally I would take one of. Sometimes I travel by myself, and you know I want to send my kids. Uh, a shot of me on the Tropic of Capricorn, for example, mm-hmm. in Namibia. So I just take a quick shot and send it off to them, you know, just to, just so they know where dad is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like it's a, a painter that has done a self-portrait? Um, no, a painter that's done a self-portrait has probably put a lot more time and effort into it. <laughs> this is just a superficial, you know, <laughs> moment in time. And, you know, and it, it's, 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 I, I'm not a selfie uh, person, but I suppose it's 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 a major part now of at least youth culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually yeah, had a, sure. a, an in-depth conversation on the, the topic was is social media killing travel, and it was interesting. There was a few different perspectives on it. We had a few like uh, four other people in the conversation. And there, well, there I, cons, I think you know. I, I read something. Uh, I think it was just yesterday about influencers yeah. mm-hmm. and how they go to Dubai or the Maldives or whatever else. And, and the damage they're causing is, is quite immense because they're not just going there and, and, and making their money out of uh, video X and, and snapshot Y or, or selfie Z they're, 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 they're changing the culture because they're making so much money by influencing also the type of cuisine that you know Mm. because they they go somewhere new and they don't try the 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 local um injera in ethiopia so good um and and the fasting food you know the spicy they don't want that they want their American or British or or Italian food, and you know it's it, and people making money they 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 cater for them so it mm-hmm. changes changes the whole nature of of the impact of tourists. I hate it, hate it, hate it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we asked you because <laughs> you've been you've been very many places with the potential to have travel influencers influence it the wrong way yeah yeah I mean, and, I, and this this was actually part of the reason elliot and i started this podcast is because we kept seeing these travel influencers and we kind of wanted a background on them who are they and, and what is their life like and what are they really doing and what are they really trying to portray and so we created this podcast to have in-depth travel conversations beyond the instagram selfie yeah beyond the picture of you holding up a 
the leaning tower of pisa we want the real information we want the authentic raw conversations the the detailed uh discussion and yeah well tra- travel know. goes way way beyond that you know i mean real travel mm-hmm. for me it's not the person who wants to tick the boxes for every country on earth to me the real traveler is the person who goes back many times to a country or spends time in a country really getting to know it and you know i try and do a new country every year just just uh for the passion of doing so but i find something in that country that i know i'm going to enjoy yeah and what did you say earlier wisdom true wisdom is not knowing every place but knowing everything about one place I I I I didn't say that, but that's a good saying. <laughs> Where did I hear that? Did I just make, um, <laughs> you just, just make it up? <laughs> I don't know. It, it was right. very, it was very impressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Trevor. Before we get into our rapid fire round, where we ask you twelve. Oh, you have questions. a rapid fire round. We do, we do. But I, I want to give you I want to give you the opportunity to um, just give us your social media handles, your websites, basically anywhere you want to direct our listeners to review and get more information on your work all right well well our little photo tour site is alternative visions where we take just a few photo tours a year uh to places like ethiopia angola some of those are shared photo tours with other operators because i'm 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 small i don't want uh to run big photo tours i want groups three four five six um, so that's alternativevisions.co.uk. Um, my Instagram is at Trev Cole. My Facebook is is alternative, you know, Facebook slash alternative visions photography. Um, Twitter, I don't really uh, use to any great extent. I I put photographs up on some quite prestigious sites like. 1x, oneexposure.com, and PhotoCrowd, which is a UK-based one. Um, but that, that, that's about it. Uh, Instagram's probably my biggest uh, um, platform, if you like. And, I, and people sometimes ask to join photo tours um, from there. Or, or even order prints and, and, and things like that. Right. Yeah. If you're listening to this, at, at a minimum, check out uh, Trevor's Instagram page. It is. It's you. You have one of my favorite Instagram pages. I genuinely enjoy every time you post. I really. I take a moment and I pause, which I think is unheard of on social media to, to, yeah, right. to take a minute and and contemplate the photograph that you're looking at. But I really, I really enjoy it. So. Oh, um, thank I you. I recommend it. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, that, you're welcome. It's a good line to use. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you ready? Are you ready for the rapid fire round? We're going to ask you. Absolutely. All Irishmen are born with verbal diarrhea. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bob, you want to get us started? Sure. Uh, Trevor, what is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Um, go. Go. What home comfort do you miss the most while traveling? Uh, my own bed. Mm. If you could swim in any liquid, what would it be? Uh, a tropical blue lagoon. Oh. <laughs> uh, who would win in a fight, an accountant or a banker? 
Ah. <laughs> I, I, I don't like either of them. <laughs> but, uh, an accountant, probably. Yeah. Uh, uh, where are we? All right. Would you rather drink water? Uh, I'm sorry. Would you rather drink wine or coffee for the rest of your life? Wine. You just. Yeah. I am I'm always going to be. White coffee. wine. White wine. Uh-huh. What's your favorite white wine? Sauvignon Blanc mm. from New Zealand. Oh, good choice. Good choice. Uh, say hello in your favorite language. Uh, buongiorno. Nice. <laughs> if you could travel in the world with anyone living or dead, who would it be? Um, my partner, my girlfriend. What is one item remaining on your bucket list? Iran. Mm. Any specific part or just the country in general? I would really like to travel around the country and again visit uh, the more diverse cultures. It's said to be one of the friendliest countries on earth, despite what Donald Trump says. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's something, that's a reoccurring theme. Anytime I hear about someone traveling to Iran or Pakistan or Lebanon, they come back and they talk about how nice the people are, and it just shows. Uh, well, how... I've been to I've been to two of those: Lebanon mm-hmm. and Pakistan. Pakistan twice, wonderful, mm-hmm. fantastic mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Um, all right. If if you could pick an actor to play you in a movie, who would you choose? Killian uh, Murphy from oh. uh, Peaky Blinders. Yes, <laughs> so, great choice. Someone that I your your photo your your profile picture kind of gives me like Sean Connery vibes too. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you made that comment about Indiana Jones earlier. Yeah, thanks. I'm not that old yet. <laughs> no, a young Sean Connery. Right, right, right. A James Bond Sean Connery. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're crawling out of that one now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to stick to Killian Murphy for a quick second. Are you familiar with the movie The Wind That Shakes the Barley? Uh, no. Okay. It is it's a movie that takes place I think in the in the mid 1900s about the um the IRA and he's a rebel. So he he plays an I think an Irishman that's fighting back. It's it's a really oh, good I, I must watch that actually, and I'm I'm always looking for good recommendations. It is a it's a fantastic film. I think probably a, it needs it it should earn some more respect and needs more attention. But that's excellent. That's my, yeah, I, I think it came out mid two thousands, but I highly recommend. All right, if you were stuck in one city for the rest of your life, which city would you choose? Whoa. Um maybe oh that's a really difficult one because i've been to so many different uh places uh maybe somewhere like sydney in australia Hmm. it's just very laid back and and easy i hope to go there one day soon uh if you owned a yacht what would you name it um galloping gale g-a-e-l i like it like J E L, you see the. Oh in, yeah. As in Gaelic. I like that even better. Uh, so, what is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself ten years ago? Um. Wow. Uh. Don't step over the line too often. <laughs> Sound advice. Yeah, it sounds like you. <laughs> sounds like there are some stories there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 
if you I always say if you risk nothing you risk everything but uh sometimes uh you know if you don't risk going too far you'll never know how far you can go but sometimes it backfires <laughs> well Trevor thank you for coming on the show today really appreciate your time uh it's been an incredible conversation absolutely i i've enjoyed it as well you guys make uh make me feel relaxed and uh, I enjoy talking in any case. So <laughs> That's great to hear. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So many of our guests uh, are very passionate about travel, obviously, but Trevor pays slightly closer attention to people. And he's a he's essentially studying them, right? He's observing, he's, he's learning about the culture and the relationships and sense of community it's it's so it's heartwarming um and it, yeah I, i'm um i don't know uh just sort of overwhelmed with how amazing that is yeah you can see you can almost feel the warmth that comes off right. of his photos and his right. passion for taking those photos and i i love his his description of what his goal is in immutable moment captured in time yeah yeah, I really love looking at, I, I every time he posts, I, I pause on his pictures, which I think just goes to show how powerful some of his images are. And I find myself, and I and I said this, I, I find myself like contemplating the story behind the person. Um, yeah, and so I mean, we and can if you follow about, it along through the podcast, then you understand what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, great guy, great conversation. Um, hope to talk to him again sometime Absolutely. in the future. He so. seems like a great guy to get a drink with or a coffee. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. So if you love the show and you want to support us, uh, you can rate us on any podcast platform you listen on. You can follow us on YouTube. You can comment on YouTube. You can shoot us an email at the travelers blueprint at gmail.com. Uh, and if you want to support us financially, you can do so for a dollar a day or not a dollar a day. Wow. A dollar a month. That's Whoa. all it takes. Patreon. Yeah. Uh, and you can go up to 10 bucks a month if you really like us. And that goes towards paying for our hosting subscriptions, our podcast subscriptions, and, you know, going towards upgrading our equipment and getting better guests. And you yourself are our biggest advocate. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing it with your friends, with your family. And stay safe, stay healthy, and tune in next week. 